Kevin Brittingham from Q. Uh, this is the Q and Ask 14th podcast. Um, this one again is going to be uh, primarily me answering questions um, that I've gotten either through social media or people have emailed in and stuff like that. Uh, some that a couple buddies have texted me, um, probably where I'm not very clear on. Uh, social media and we don't spend a lot on the website quite honestly um, so I'm just going to try to go through some of that stuff hopefully some of uh, the information is useful um, you know I'll try to keep it up that way and, and you guys continue to send in messages uh, however you want however you can reach us we don't really have a phone so everything except that and I'll, I'll try to respond to stuff um, we've had some good feedback from a lot of the stuff that may be historical information on silencers or whatever else but I'll try to respond to everything that I can that seems reasonable um, you know, with as much detail as possible. Um, some of the, the, the biggest questions that I've, we've had recently have been about uh, a trip I just took to Africa and I went hunting on the border of Zimbabwe. Um, and that was a really interesting experience. And uh, I went, as usual, uh, with my buddy Jared Joplin of American Precision Arms, who, again, I've mentioned him in podcasts before. Um, when you get to know Jared... It's easy to understand when you know him at a personal level with his OCD and what a huge pain in the ass he is that he's just a wonderful guy and it's no surprise that he can hand build the most incredible guns that, that I've seen in a very long time. Um, he had a 375 there with a man wicker stock that he built with, with probably the prettiest piece of wood I've ever seen that he and his wife both um, shot some stuff with um we just have a great time hunting and jared and i have different approaches to a lot of things we we have a lot in common and uh enjoy hanging out and shooting and uh, hunting together um but you know he builds custom high-end i think probably the best shooting stuff i've ever seen um and he's an interesting guy i have a very different take on most things in life and so so it's it's a lot of fun going and traveling seeing the world hunting with uh, someone that's different than i am um but we have you know shared interests though different viewpoints i guess so jared took a a 470 nitro he took a 16 inch 308 that he built and he took a 375 that he built um jared i think is sponsored by swarovski so almost all of his optics are swarovski optics and he got me really turned on to those for hunting and um he just got some of their new stuff recently their z8 line which is the their new line of scopes i have the older z6 um, which is a, I think it's a three and a half to 15 or no, a two and a half to 15. And it's very lightweight and compact. They do a great job with the, the little dot that they have. Um, it, it doesn't like burst or, uh, not too bright. It's very subtle it, it, that combined with a simple, very fine crosshair. And as I've gotten older, the dot becomes ha having a lit reticle, which I really prefer lit dots. Um, are important to me is now I'm in my mid forties and my vision is starting to go a little bit at, at the key times, you know, um, at dusk and at first light. So it's very helpful for me because I can lose a black reticle very easily hunting now. Um, so I took a 16 inch fix. Uh, we both took silencers. Jared had one on just his 308. I had it on both my a silencer on both my guns. Um, I had a 16 inch 308 in the fix, and I had a 24 inch 65 Creedmoor um, with the new EOTech Voodoo 5 to 25 scope, which is great. Um, you know the differences in the scopes, other than magnification, the obvious. The the 5 to 25 is really built for a lot of. Um, you know more durability military type stuff so the optic even though it's short is heavy compared to the swarovski stuff and i've started to differentiate my scopes depending on what i'm doing if i'm going to shoot still or uh want to shoot at distance shoot paper something like that you know i don't really care about the weight but the hunting that i've done the last few years where there's a lot of stalking and hiking and mountains involved um 
every bit of weight I can save, I like, and I don't need the stuff to be, you know, survive in the surf and survive certain drop tests and all that make a lot of the military scopes heavy. Um, so, so I really like a lot of the, the hunting focused stuff for, for that application now. Uh, you know, when I was in New Zealand, I shot, um, Jared and I were kind of having a competition and shooting far. And so I wanted all the magnification I could get. And, uh, we really only had one opportunity in Africa to shoot far. And, um, we're talking like seven, maybe the longest shot I took was about 800. Um, so I really didn't even need the 24 inch barrel in the fix and it became cumbersome for me. I didn't enjoy using the rifle that much. So I mostly used the 308 in Africa because we're in and out of vehicles and we were hiking a lot and stalking and the long barrel just sort of gets in the way. And you know, the average shot that I took was probably 150 yards. Um, you know, so I could have had a 12 and a half inch 308 for that matter. Uh, so I, I just gravitated more towards the 308 gun this trip. Um, and with the lighter optic, it was good. Um, when it came to when we shot at 800, um, the Voodoo was great because then I had the, uh, the 25 power and I was able to get in a position and get prone and shoot off a bipod. And we had a pretty strong crosswind. We actually shot across this lake and um, at Baboons. And we had a pretty strong wind. So my cold bore shot... Um, I shot, uh, missed, uh, due to win, um, was able to correct with the horse reticle and, and make a good shot. So, uh, that was beneficial where I wouldn't have had that option with the Swarovski hunting scope. You know, it has been holding out in outer space. Um, so each of them have their benefits over the Leopold Mark Six, the three to eighteen. I like the Voodoo five to twenty-five better in the sense of it has uh, the Voodoo has a lit reticle. Well, I think it's actually just a couple dots, so that helps for hunting and hunting at dusk and stuff like that. Um, so that was nice. I use Jared's rings, the APA rings, because they're super compact and lightweight, and not a bunch of fancy stuff, and they're strong, and um, that's what I tend to use. Um, I shot Hornady. Um, they gave me in 6.5 to 143 ELDX. And I actually shot, I think, the 165 GMX, the solid copper that they produce, um, and the 308. And I think I shot close to 60 rounds while I was there, actually hunting, not zeroing or anything. Uh, and I shot, you know, a 3,800-pound giraffe with a 308. Um you know, that was uh, an ear shot at about 150 yards, um, and, and it did the trick. I shot a lot of big rugged animals with the 308. I shot a very large kudu, oryx, um, a lot of different stuff, a water buck, large animals. I shot, you know, an, an eland that was probably 2,000 pounds. Um, one shot, I was able to do everything. Jared hunted some dangerous game. I did not. I was shooting planes game on this trip. Um, but I had no need for a bigger gun. And so that, that was pretty that was pretty exciting and fun. And it was nice having a gun with a silencer magazine and optic on it and the 16-inch 308 that weighed probably uh, six, seven, eight and a half, nine pounds maybe. Um in a 308 so that was cool um what else went on saw a lot of interesting animals africa was cool for any of you that haven't been it, it's it's like when you watch the uh, mutual of omaha uh show when i was a kid i mean it africa really is like that um just riding around you turn a corner and then we you know at one point there was a a rhino and its calf in the road we had to wait for it and uh that was pretty cool to see you know seeing giraffe and you know one thing that was interesting that i learned was the giraffe and the zebras seemed to really overgraze there and in south africa you know even if you have like a hundred thousand acres you have to have a high fence and it's really not to keep animals in it seems there but to keep the poachers out um so they have to do a good job and they have biologists of they have to do a good job of maintaining the population the correct population of those animals because of uh, their grazing habits um 
so that was pretty interesting. So you can actually go to Africa and there's a lot of stuff that you can go and hunt that's that's relatively inexpensive. You know, the cost is really, of course, the flights and the lodging. But animal-wise, it's not very expensive unless you get into to dangerous game. You know, if you wanted a lion or a cape buffalo or an elephant or something like that, that's, that's a different proposition. Um, I shot um, an impala impala uh water buck um giraffe a couple of zebras a kudu um a blessed buck a titsubi a red artibeast i'm doing it from memory so i'm sure i'll forget some stuff a blue wildebeest which is a beautiful very interesting animal um it was very rugged a warthog and i think jared and i both like the warthog was the toughest little thing um Jared and I both, I think, had to shoot them like four times. Um, that's a rugged animal, it, much more so than I was expecting, ex- given its size. Uh, what else? A little diker, um, which is one of the small little antelope. You know, it's like a little miniature whitetail or something. Um, those are interesting. You can call them. And, and my PH, my professional hunter, he could call one in anytime he wanted. Uh, so that was a lot of fun to do. You know, it, a, a couple of days we were calling jackals in and, uh, those would always show up as well using a little like, you know, distress from one of the little antelope, um, young distress calls and they would both just run right in. Um, so that was it. Fun trip. The guns work great. Um, you know, w- working for Q or not, that would be my hunting rifle of choice at this point, the fix. Uh, you know, being able to switch the barrel, being able to have the long top rail if we wanted to shoot at night. Like, I was always too tired. Jared's a little tougher than me. He shot a honey badger, but you have to you have to hunt those at night. Um, and I just can't stay awake anymore after, like, a full day of hiking and hunting. Um, but we have the long rail where you can mount in line night vision or thermal. Um or I didn't have the long rail on either of my guns this time. Um, so, you know, if you go with the short top rail, it takes some weight out and the handguard's a little more comfortable for shooting. Um, I used uh, an Atlas bipod on one of them with a direct Q-cert mount. Um, but the gun, just being able to adjust it, being able to take, you know, one rifle, adjust the stock for if we're shooting out of a vehicle trying to call jackals in or if we're shooting prone or off shooting sticks, have fast adjustment. Being able to fold the stock to store it in the vehicle was very handy. Um, and I just continued to be impressed with the rifle in a practical sense of me using it and hunting and stuff like that. Uh Yeah, and hunting with silencers, that was a question. Yeah, as far as hunting with silencers, if you go abroad, you can put the serial number. When you go to customs and have to get approved to take the guns with you, and they run, I assume it's like a net check and then a check on the guns to make sure they're not stolen, I guess. But they write on the little customs forms the serial numbers. You can just put the serial numbers on there, and as long as you come back with it, uh, you know, take it and come back. Everything's fine. Um, okay, so moving on from hunting and the hunting trip, uh, questions about the Erector 22 9mm Odessa, the new Silencer Co. version of a modular can. Um, you know, the Erector, people are kind of really catching on to it now. Being a fully modular little 22 can comes with 10 baffles and you can shoot with one or 10 or anywhere in between. And again, the reason for that um, is a 22 rifle, all the powder is burnt probably within 10 to 12 inches of your rifle. So a 16 inch rifle barrel is actually ridiculous on a 22, but you know, they're all 16 inches just because of federal law. But you don't need much silencer is the point. You don't need very many baffles. Um, a, a 22 rifle is much quieter than a 22 pistol. Um, probably around 20 dB difference just in going from a three and a half inch barrel to a 16 inch barrel. And I'm not saying that's the exact difference. So nobody needs to blow up our IG inbox with me being off by two or three dB. But it gives you an idea of how there's a substantial difference. Like most 22 rifles are hearing safe without a silencer. 
Um, but you only need a couple of baffles. And you'll see in some of uh, the testing, it's hard to trust any testing at this point that I see online. But when we were at Advanced Armament um, and we did the Element Silencer, and the Element is still one of the quietest 22 silencers that there is. The mask is also great from dead air. But, you know, we spent a whole year, as I've said in the past, just, just R&Ding the Element and doing actual prototyping and testing. And that's why the silencer 10 years later is still probably the king. Um, it, you know, and that kind of steel, titanium compact, small, super quiet can. Um, you know, I think the thing still only weighs like four and a half ounces or something, which is much lighter than a lot of stuff that's out there still. Um, but that was always quietest on a pistol because you have much, you know, much higher velocity gases, um, much more pressure at, at the muzzle of a pistol. And then it was quieter than our old Prodigy silencer, which was like the first monocore little 22 silencer. Really cool, you know, two-piece design, the core and the tube. And I mean, everyone probably listening to this has seen 10 different versions of it by now. But the point is the Prodigy would always win the rifle competitions. And it would be in the middle of the pack of pistols with, you know, the top half a dozen um, companies out there. And the element would win and then the element on a rifle would be middle of the pack so they behave very differently um the rifle and 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 pistols as far as silencers go even in the same caliber so that was the original idea is to give you true modularity with the erector without making it big and heavy and weigh seven ounces um you know the silencer in a real configuration for a pistol is two ounces i believe so it's very lightweight because we don't use an outer tube and we're not having to use a lot of stainless steel because of the threaded junctions of the tube and all this sort of stuff. Um, I say you can shoot it on any 22 caliber 17, anything you want now. And the beauty of the Erector too, if you end up having a problem, let's say you ding the end cap and the last couple baffles because of misalignment or something along those lines, you just send it back to us. We just remove those and add some to it and send it back to you. So that's pretty simple. Um, the nine millimeter Erector we've tested and that'll be out within the next couple months. And it, it, it started as, you know, there's been a quest to make a nine millimeter pistol can quieter than the Tyrant 9, which we did, I believe just before the Element Silencer at Advanced Armament. We took what we learned from the Tyrant 9 and nine millimeter and 22 pistol wise behave, they're very similar. Um, traditionally in, in behavior as far as gases with the baffles and what baffles are efficient in each. And that's not always the case. It's different for 45, for example, because it's lower pressure and you have a bigger hole going through the silencer and stuff. But so the goal of the Erector now was to give the modularity, the true modularity of the Erector in 22, but be able to use it on a pistol, have a booster, um, so the pistols can cycle and have the versatility of having different rear mounts on it. So if you want to put it on one of these um, pistol carbines or an MP5 or something along these lines, you could, and you could pick your length. Um, we wanted lightweight and durability, but the real goal is to be as quieter, quieter than the Tyrant 9mm. And again, it's a decade old, and I've never metered a pistol silencer as quiet as the Tyrant 9, and I don't believe that anyone else has either. I can't believe that in good faith because um, I've tested everything. We have achieved that with the Erector 9, and it's going to be released. Um, I think one thing, too, about the Erector series that caused some issues is people, it's very different than what people are used to. A lot of 22 silencer purchasers are their first-time buyers, and it's kind of different, and it's kind of ugly. The Erector, to me, is a bit ugly, but I understand how it works and why it looks the way it does, so that makes it you know, very functional and beautiful and to me. Um, but I can see where people would think it's ugly, you know, us using clear anodizing, so it's an odd color combination. Um, you know, the architecture on the outside to be able to engage the tools for disassembly in case, you know, you shoot it too many rounds without cleaning it or you over-torque it and get it stuck, that you're able to get it apart without damaging it. Um, so these were all considerations. But I think if we had black anodized it and 
made the blast baffle, you know, silver or just nickel plated or something like that, it would have been accepted a little earlier. You know, we see early on with the company, if we go back two years or whenever we started selling the Erector, that El Camino sales, our standard 22 silencer, outsold the Erector probably 10 to 1. And now it's not that way. Now we're starting to sell more erectors. So I think people are accepting it. And then you see the market too, whether it's the Dead Air Odessa 9mm or um, this new Silencer Co. Switchback Silencer, I think they call it. Um, people are starting to copy it. And I see a lot of the small companies starting to do almost exact copies of the erector. So I, so I think that, you know, things are changing. Acceptance is growing. Um, and, and I believe since we did the erector, the first prototype, that's the future of silencers for the commercial market. It just makes a lot of sense. You know, rather than having a modular can where you can have it super long or you can have it short, now you can have it any length you want. You know, on a pistol caliber carbine if you have a 16 inch barrel you don't need all the baffles but if you're shooting on a glock 19 and you want to be super quiet then you use all the baffles so um, the erector 9 makes a lot of sense and even in its full configuration i think it weighs about eight and a quarter ounces which is super lightweight compared to a lot of the current pistol silencers and it's lighter weight than the pistol silencer we would have done in a tube it's lighter than the tyrant um so that's kind of a neat feature. Um, the, the little Silencer Co. switchback, I saw where they said, oh, you can turn the baffles around on a rifle, and, you know, this is very innovative and makes it quieter on a rifle. And I think that goes back to what I was talking about earlier about the Prodigy Silencer against the Element and how the monocores act very differently. They're not as efficient with the, the super high velocity, high pressure gases of a pistol like they are on a rifle. And I think, you know, it's like our El Camino, basically the switchback is uh, a two-piece or three-piece tube, two-piece tube, I guess, El Camino. Because you can take half the baffles out in the El Camino and turn them around backwards, put it on a rifle. It's probably gonna make no difference. I was telling one of the writers that called me, was asking about this. Um, about 15 years ago at Advanced Armament, I was doing integral 1022 barrels. And the barrel was 10 or 12 inches long, and then it had six or seven or eight baffles in front of the muzzle for the end cap. And, you know, we welded it all together, so overall it was a 16-inch barrel. But in reality, the, the barrel part was, was only 10 or 12 inches. So I, I, we got an order for 100 and I had to deliver them, and I go to assemble them, and we didn't have a good inventory system at the time and realized that we didn't have enough baffles. We only had enough baffles, for instance, like 35 of them. So I had to figure it out. It was going to take 30 days to get baffles, blah, blah, blah. So I put two baffles in instead of the seven or eight. I made a very long spacer, and then I put a baffle at the muzzle. So there was a long void where it was just a spacer instead of like four or five baffles. And this allowed me, if this would work, to get to 100. So we put it together, we metered it, and it metered the same. Um, all we did was remove baffles, and on the 22 rifle, it metered the same. It just needed the volume, for instance. And so we never, that's the way we built them until we stopped building integral 22s many years after that. Um, and I think that's the same situation if you turn the baffles around in a, in a silencer. Like, you know, that's a cool party trick, but, you know, this is, this is nothing new. Um, what else we have? Are we going to do integrals? Hmm. Excuse me. So integrals, I don't know. Um, traditionally, an integral means you port the barrel and you vent gases into the silencer or into a volume before the bullet exits the muzzle and goes into the silencer. But people kind of think integral now just means like you have it underneath the handguard. Um, integrals to me, integrals were the most popular when I got into silencers 25 years ago. And they stayed the most popular for oh, five or ten years. And what happened was muzzle silencers for 22 got as quiet as integrals. But prior to that, if you had a muzzle silencer, you know, if you had one of the original Gemtech, whatever their 22 can was, 
on a pistol, the first round pop was loud and the pistol was pretty loud compared to an integral pistol or a 22 silencer on a rifle. Um, you know, technology just got better. So integrals kind of died because just threading the barrel on all your 22s, then you could move the silencer around. You only had to have one. It wasn't married to the gun. Um, that happened. And then also, <coughs> excuse me, um, manufacturers started and probably for a lot of you guys listening you can't imagine that manufacturers used to not thread the barrels on their 22s or on any guns but you used to go in a gun store and the only thing that had a threaded barrel you know 20 years ago was um basically your ar-15 and nothing else had a threaded muzzle and so now you know you can buy just about every gun with a threaded muzzle so it, it wasn't easy. You had to send your barrels off to get them threaded by a gunsmith, and it was expensive and kind of a pain in the butt and stuff. And so um, all these things have kind of changed. But I think now there is something very elegant and sleek and nice about an integral silencer on a 1022 or on the Mark IV or whatever the Ruger pistol is called now. Um that it's integrated doesn't really look like a silencer. Some people like that, some people don't. But I mean, I would think for me, there's been a couple times at my range or in my backyard or whatever the instance is, I would just rather have an integral because not as many people realize you have a silencer and they don't bother you about it. And another reason is if you have a true integral and the barrel's ported, then you can use high velocity ammo, which tends to be more plentiful and, um, you know, less expensive and even in 22 and it keeps it subsonic. So it's still quiet, you know, due to the porting of the barrel, uh, the bullets can never reach supersonic velocities. Um, so I don't know if we're going to do them, you know, maybe, I guess this is the best answer. Um, I'm not necessarily opposed to it, but I don't see a reason to do it now. And especially with, we've got a lot of products going on and you know, we're ramping production and uh, the back order position on the rifles is still growing. Um, and just our standard silencers, since the silencer market's coming back, uh, we're doing great with silencer sales. The market's really, I think, embracing um, our rifle silencers and rimfire silencers. So I'm excited about bringing the pistol silencer to market. You know, and who knows the future. If that's the path and we end up at integrals, you know, that'll be fun for me. And if not, I'm okay with that too. Um, the honey badger. What makes the honey badger so great? And, you know, I went to, recently went to an in-store kind of event on a Saturday in Pennsylvania at Shooter, or no, King's Firearms. And... It was interesting hearing a couple of people who, who, who were, you know, more than novice. They were more educated on guns. And them try to explain why they love the honey badger in the fix. And, uh, you know, I kind of equate it to, it's hard to explain, when you pick them up and you feel how light they are and how ergonomic the products are and how they're simple and make sense. Um, and there's not a lot of flash on the guns or things to make it tactical or, you know, without reason. Um, the guns just make a lot of sense. And, and I think because every time somebody picks up, comes to the shop to build a gun, for instance, and we have every Friday people do this and, and they make appointments and they come to build the fix or the honey badger. And a lot of the people have never even physical been like seen or held the fixed rifle and i love handing them a 16 inch 308 and watching their faces and i would equate it to like being a boy like the first time you touch boobs that's what it seems like almost um the guns are very special um they're different but they're not different for the sake of being different we're not trying to you know make them stand out aesthetically to draw attention. I think we've done things that are very practical and make sense. Like I love the honey badger for an East coast or hill country hunting gun, um, for everything white tail and down. Um, you know, the guns probably, I don't know the weight off the top of my head, but four and a half pounds or something with a seven inch barrel, um, adjustable gas system, uh, the collapsible stock, um, the gun is just very practical and easy to use and easy to carry. Um, 
and it's it's wonderful. The the ergonomics are great, as everyone knows, with an AR. Um, it it really doesn't make any sense at all to have something different if you want to go pig hunting, if you want to deer hunt. You, you know, I know on my farm in Georgia, most of the spots you're going to shoot are inside of definitely inside of a hundred. Most of the stands in the woods, you would have 50 yard shots. This is a great, great gun for that application. Coyote hunting, stuff like that. Anything that's going to be relatively close range. Um, I don't think 300 blackouts necessarily the greatest cartridge. I think it is for a 30 caliber for that gun um, because of com- you know the compact size and weight and full mag capacity. The Barnes 110 and the Hornady GMX 110, which they also have a solid copper expanding. You know, I've shot some big animals with them. Um, you know, 700 pound pig. Uh, I mean, you can get it done making a good shot, but you know, I like shooting stuff with a 308, but typically I don't want to carry a gun that's twice as big and heavy. Um, and I like, you know, especially for pig hunting, I like having a semi-auto. Um, the a you know the honey badger is expensive for an ar if that's the way you look at it but if you come and build one or you watch kit badger's videos on it an in-depth uh look at it and the parts that are in it and what we go through you know yeah you can go buy um that uh who makes that springfield saint their little 300 blackout ar gun I think is awesome and it's a great buy and they can sell it retail cheap you know for less money than i have in a honey badger when we ship it you know developing the stock and making the custom receivers for that is just very expensive using a trigger like the ar gold trigger you know is extremely expensive um it costs a lot of money for us to build those and you know they all go and get shot for function and accuracy um you know we have a seven month back order right now I'm not trying to compete with the Saint or any of these budget ARs. You know, we're just, Q's not going to be, unfortunately, in a, a, a company for a very long time that has a gun for everyone. You know, I understand being on a budget and there's great, great guns you can get in 300 blackout that'll serve you well for 800 bucks. But, you know, we're just not in that category. And um, I'm not going to try to pretend that we are or you know I, I guess the idea is that we some of the the more less educated um, consumers don't really understand why uh, the guns cost so much and you know that's sort of the thing we're not using ARs are cheap because there's millions of them built and they all use common parts um, the honey badger is not $3,500 because we get to use some common parts. Um, but just about everything is is custom to some point on the Honey Badger. You know, the whole stock assembly, the development and building that was very expensive. Um, and it's different. The receivers are AR receivers, but there are some things that are different on them and they're billet receivers. And um, if we were just using a standard AR receiver, it would cost about, I don't know, probably a third, a quarter of what our receiver costs. And some of that's just due to volume. Um, you know, we get to use a standard AR bolts, so that saves us some money, but the carrier's different. Um, so that makes it many times more expensive than a standard carrier. Uh, you know, and same thing with our rail system and the barrels, and we developed the gas block because we didn't want to put a big heavy gas block on it. So, we, you know, we did a stainless steel, extremely lightweight, adjustable gas block. So it's all custom made. Um, the gas tube, um, well, originally the gas tubes were custom made, and I think we're using a standard gas tube now, which is nice. Um, you know, buying AR Gold triggers is very expensive. So that just gives you an idea. You know, we're able to order Magpul grips, and that's cool. We don't have to make a special grip for it. Um, next question, 8-6. So... 8.6 to let everybody know again, just consider it 8.6 blackout. So it's a 338 bullet in a shortened up 6.5 Creedmoor case. 
how is it different than 338 Spectre, someone asked me. And I had to look up what 338 Spectre was. I didn't know, honestly. And like, I, I don't know. I'm kind of ignorant to some of that stuff. I don't stay on the forums, and I don't try every Wildcat thing. And it's not knocking it. I just don't know until someone, you know, educates me. Um, so my understanding is 338 Spectre was really... Um, I don't know if it was a 10 millimeter case or some kind of pistol case with a 338 bullet, but it's a subsonic thing for AR-15 mags. So the 8.6 blackout, we'll call it, um, it is like 300 blackouts, bigger brother, like I've said in the past. And the idea is it's for 308 based guns. And, you know, where that's important is we get a longer overall length because I think what made 300 blackout successful was not that we made the best subsonic round and not that we made the best supersonic round, but that it's a really good in both of those. And it fits in the standard AR mags, full mag capacity, and you don't have to change your bolt. Like literally it's a barrel change. So that's what 8.6 is. It's blackout for 308 with a bigger bullet that you use standard your standard mag to full capacity. You don't have to have a special bolt or any of that. It's just a barrel swap. It works in a gas gun. It works in a bolt gun. It works in any of the 308 mags. And you get really incredible performance out of the supersonic, and you get incredible performance out of the subsonic. So again, and, and we've talked about it a, a couple of times before, but the supersonic's going to probably be 150 to 180 grains or so. And out of a 12 and a half inch barrel is going to be more muzzle energy than a 16 or 18 inch 308 so great for hunting it'll be very compact we'll sell them as pistols with arm braces on them um, then the subsonic round is going to be from probably a 250 to a 350 expanding subsonic bullet so a very heavy bullet almost double the weight of some of the subsonic three, uh, 300 blackout offerings and um, it cycles a gas gun. So using the 6.5 as a parent case makes a lot of this possible. And, you know, and Hornady's doing a really good job with bullets, so discrete ballistics. So there'll be some options out there. Um, and one, you know, we're trying to really learn from the lessons of the 300 blackout. And so maintaining a little more control over this in the development phase because we want to open source this to everyone the ammo uh, we want people making ammo we're working with hornady on this but we want other people to make ammo and so do they um you know it's sort of the rising tides uh philosophy um you know we want to figure out barrel twist and chamber and everything before we release stuff so that we can give that to just give it to ruger or you know Novesco or uh, Smith & Wesson if they want to build a gun or just whoever it is to really support the project. Because um, what we're working with with barrels right now is any, it's going to be between probably a one-in-one -one twist or a one-in-three. And that's extremely fast. But you get a lot of rotational energy um, when you do that, when you spend the high RPMs. So, uh, which is going to have terminal effects, which is wonderful. So, you know, with subsonic, rather than getting the hydrostatic shock or something from shooting a bullet really fast, it's a slow bullet, so it'll be a thousand feet a second, and it's going to make an inch and a quarter hole, but it's going to spin so fast you'll get rotational energy, and the bullet, once it expands, will spin many more times in an animal than, you know, if we had a one in 10 twist, for instance. Um, so that's going to cause a lot more trauma and uh, should easily equate to better lethality. Um, so these are some of the things that we're working on. And I think something that's probably going to make eight, six, even better than 300 blackout. And two, it's probably good timing because the 308 base guns, especially AR platforms are much more popular um, and more plentiful than they were, you know, back when we did 300 blackout. So, um, I think it's good timing and I think hunting with silencers is becoming so much more accepted and popular. And, you know, there's some things I don't like to hunt with 300 blackout because I'm going to shoot too far or it's a trophy animal or it's a large animal. And sometimes you don't get a perfect shot or sometimes you blow it. I mean, I think, I don't know, in Africa, I shot about 14 things and I think Jared probably equally. And, 
most of the time, you know, Jared's one of the Jared Joplin, one of the best shooters I've ever seen. He's wonderful. Uh, he, he's an incredible shooter. But sometimes hunting, like you don't get a perfect shot, an animal moves, you shoot at distance, or you just you blow it sometimes. And I mean, I think out of fourteen animals, we had to track one um, of mine. And I think it was the same situation with Jared. Um, you know, it's a terrible feeling when you get used to, you know, making good shots and, you know, our tracker wasn't even really having to work except, you know, help to field dress animals and stuff. So he loved that. So, you know, I, I don't I don't like having to track stuff. Um, so I think with some things, 8.6 is going to be better. And I think it's going to find a, a easily find a place and kind of create a new niche in the industry. Um, oh, somebody asked me about BNT. Um, yeah, BNT, I like BNT products. Like almost all Swiss products are nice. Um, you know, I initially just compared the weight of the honey badger to one of their nine millimeters and the nine millimeters heavier than the honey badger. And I get wanting one of the their nine millimeter guns. They're super nice. Everything, like I said, Swiss is is really well made and wonderful. And BNT's done a great job. But I mean, at the end of the day, you have a nine millimeter. You know, it's not my thing, but I get that it's an industry thing. So me trying to draw the parallel, like the reason that the Honey Badger exists, is because we built it for SOCOM to replace the MP5, a nine millimeter. So no matter if somebody wants to say that's a fair comparison or not, that's the reason that the government asked us to build the gun and that's what it replaced. So it is a fair comparison, maybe not for you guys that are want a nine millimeter carbine to go to the range or if they have nine millimeter competitions or to teach your kids with, you know, my kids love shooting the MP5 SD. I love shooting the MP5 SD. It's a lot of fun at our range shooting still, but it has no other purpose anymore. Um, so I will make those comparisons. And, you know, I do know that uh, B&T license from Steyr for their TMP, and I don't know what B&T calls it now, but their little plastic 9mm where the mag goes up in the grip. Um, so that's cool. But the other gun that we got in of theirs or, or someone had there, it's a copy of a Tech 9. Like, that's a piece of crap. Anybody that argues that other than Archer from that animated series is just ridiculous. Like, I was around when the Tech 9 came out and was available and sold. Like, it's a piece of junk. Just because you make it in Switzerland and you overmold the tube receiver with plastic, like, doesn't make the gun good. Um, you know, the Tech 9s back in the day were $299 or something. So, you know, a $2,400 one made in Switzerland. That's just laughable to me. Um, but everybody has a right to their own opinion, and I get that. But um, <laughs> it's not going to stop me from doing the comparisons. Um, I think, too, I heard some stuff, and I haven't watched the whole video, but Mac from Military Armament, given the history of BNT, like... Those silencers and rail systems were all 100% copies of Knight's Armament stuff. They didn't develop that crimp comb baffle. That crimp comb baffle came from Doug Olson at Qualitech in the late 70s, who now, Doug, I don't know where he's an engineer at, um, LMT, I think. But he's one of the best engineers of our time in our industry. Um, but Qualitech was a company owned by Mickey Finn in California. I think it was Oceanside. And they made the original silencers for SEAL Team 6. And he did the slanted sidewall baffle. He did the K baffle. He did the crimp cone baffle. And he used to crimp tubing and then weld it up. And um, and I have some of those original silencers. I uh, did one called the crankshaft baffle. He did a lot of stuff. Most of it is based on Maxim silencers. And Doug has told me himself he had a Maxim 1921 silencer when he was doing this development. Um, but then Doug went to a company once they stopped building silencers for the Navy. He went to AWC when Lynn McWilliams owned it and back in the 80s. And if you have an old thunder uh, trap silencer, it has the K baffles um, with the two-part flat on it that is in the video with 
I think it's in the video with Mac where they're saying that B&T developed it, um, which was later in B&T's first 9mm can. Um, the original Archangel silencer, one version of that had, uh, I think maybe the Archangel 2 or 3 I have, has the 22 crimped cone baffles in it. Their um, Nexus 45 silencer used. The, I mean, so from AWC, Doug went to... Knight's Armament, and he did the SOP Mod silencer, and he did the Mark 23 silencer, and he did the USP silencer, and he did the USP Compact silencer, he did the Mark 11 silencer, the M, put the M110 silencer, all those are the crimped comb baffles, uh, and once they got the contract and for SOP Mod for the that's the M4 silencer with the girdle that's real ugly. A lot of people say that has the well, Griffin Arm copies it with their little latch they call a gate. Um, those were originally tubing that crimped in a six jaw chuck and then welded up, and they've been cast out of Inconel really since the contract. Um, you know, and B&T got those from H&K or the military over there, and you know, I don't know exactly how they got them, but they, you know, they copied it and started building the pistol silencers that, I don't know, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, Larry Gaglio from Capital City Firearms was importing them. Um, he imported some, but then started making them here and selling them. Uh, but, you know, BNT copied the rail system for Knights. Basically, Knights got the SOP mod contract, which was a rail system, vertical foregrip, the silencer. And BNT just copied all that stuff for the rest of the world market. So now they're opening shop here and importing stuff, and they're going to build silencers. And I actually have no problem with it because I think the stuff is nice, and Knights doesn't have a problem with them anymore, so what do I care? But where I have a problem is the the bullshit and the propaganda they developed all this stuff because you know it's it it's total lies like i was there um but again like their stuff's nice and if they put nice stuff on the market i think that's great for the industry and i'm happy for them um you know if they lie and try to claim they invented these baffles and silencers and you know, I mean, look at the BNT 45 can compared to the Knight's Armament can. It's just a machined copy of it. The booster system, everything's an exact copy. You know, the problem is Knight's, as a U.S. manufacturer, you can't sell to the rest of the world. It has to be like favored nation status and approved by the State Department and shipped directly to the end user. And so in most every other country of the world, silencers aren't regulated and you can just sell them like any other accessory. Um so that's really the reason that all that stuff happened. Um, you know, for instance, Knights doing silencers for the HK Mark 23, they couldn't send silencers to Germany for Germany to test them at H&K. It had to go to the military. Um, so it just creates a lot of logistic issues for the companies when you start working with a European gun company doing silencers and stuff. Um so that's that. I probably missed some stuff. Anybody has any questions? I hope to talk to Mac pretty soon. And, you know, everything that he said in the video about BNT silencers, you know, I'm going to offer him because I don't want him to look like an idiot. Um, I'm going to offer him what I know to actually be true. Um, and then let him, you know, decide to use that or not. Um, you know, Mac's, Mac's a good guy, so I'm sure it'll go good. Sig and Q. Um, Sig and Q, there's a lot of similarities, obviously. Um, you know, Ethan and I did the silencers there and we did the silencers at Q just a couple years later. Um, and I've touched on this, but I'll do it again. Basically at Sig, when you see the mounts on the rifle silencers, the mounts larger than the baffles, it's because originally they had outer tubes. And then we realized through the durability testing and once we started really perfecting the welding process and the part fitment that we didn't need an outer tube. So we just eliminated it and it saved four or five ounces on some of the rifle silencers. So we knew if we could ever, but once those were locked in, because the, the, at SIG we had rifle, military rifle silencer contracts before we ever shipped a silencer commercially. So the silencer is kind of locked in. It's difficult to change once that happens. Excuse me. So we know if we ever did it again, some changes we'd want to make. One would be make 
the rear mount um, inch and three quarters, just like at SIG, but make the baffles inch and three quarters in diameter because we just gained that additional volume internally and it would help with sound and keeping the temperature and pressures lower inside the silencer. And what that yields you is better sound performance, less blowback. You know, yeah, there, there was no reason the SIG silencers kicked the snot out of everyone at the time. There was no reason for us to go and spend, you know, millions of dollars and tons of time to try to make another gain. I don't think there is a huge gain to be made right now, honestly. Um, and I don't think the market's there to support it if we did. You know, I don't think... Our silencers and the SIG silencers are already very expensive to make. They're all titanium. They're robotically welded. Um, they're PVD coated. A lot of things that are expensive, like we can't build a Thunder Chicken silencer for $100. I mean, just the material cost alone is more than that. Um, and not to say you can't get an inexpensive good silencer, but the way that we do it, you just can't. But I don't see where we spend another million in R&D and time taken away from other projects like the Fix, for instance, or the 9mm pistol erector or the new bipod or whatever to do this, try to change the silencers more. And, you know, then they cost two grand a piece. And how are you going to sell those? Um, that's the biggest difference. Um, then the quick detach mount, I guess, is actually the largest difference. With the military, with what's one of the contracts at the time, they wanted it to be maybe three rotations to go on and then a secondary latch in case it comes loose. But they still use the taper. I like the SIG mount. You know, I think, you know, Ethan did a really good job on it. Um, but when Ethan and I were talking about, you know, Q, what we wanted to do mounting-wise... Um, you know, we thought at the time, too, that thread mount silencers with a taper would become popular. And they are, but it's still people want to attach to a muzzle device. But what do we want? Like our silencers, even at AAC, would just have a taper and a thread. We would just use a finer pitch thread. Um, so we decided to do that and kind of focus on what we would want in the commercial market with our silencers. So our mounting system with the Cherry Bomb, I think, reflects that. If we go with a finer pitch thread rather than a coarse thread and limiting it to three turns, so if you guys take six turns to get the silencer on, um, the finer pitch thread in conjunction with the taper, you don't need a secondary latch. That is a benefit. Um, it's it's less expensive. It's less complex. It's lighter weight. Um, th the muzzle devices can be smaller and lighter. I think overall it's better. And it's similar to the old Ops Inc. silencers like Marcus Luttrell had in, um, uh, what was that called? Um, whatever. I know all you guys are saying it. But that's the silencer he mounted to the Mark 12 rifle when he fell down the mountain and all, and the silencer stayed on. That's because they were using tapers and a fine pitch thread. Um, not exactly in the or orientation or how I would want to do it, because they used a taper piece that just slid over the barrel and was kind of held on with a set screw, so you couldn't get the alignment that the taper can provide you. But what it, the taper did provide them was the silencer would never come loose. Um, so that was wonderful. Um, so I think it's just refinement. Like, I don't really think we invent a ton of stuff, but I think we do a good job of being innovative. Um, but those are the differences, really, in us in the SIG stuff. Mm, for the most part, that's, you know, worth mentioning. Uh, the fix. So next year, right now, if you order the fixed rifle online through December 20, 31st, you can order a 16-inch 308 or a 22-inch heavy barrel 6.5 Creedmoor. After December 31st of this year, you place an order. You can order a 16-inch 308, the, the lighter weight barrels that we have now, which are still sub-MOA, or you can order a 16-inch 6.5 Creedmoor with a lighter weight barrel. The heavier, longer match barrels um, will be offered on the site as an accessory barrel. So those are the two guns for next year, um, the two rifles. Now, the pistol brace guns will start shipping um, probably at the same time. And we will have uh, the mini fix in 300 blackout. 
with an eight inch barrel, which you guys see on our Instagram and on online and stuff like that. And that's about a four and a half pound gun. Um, you will also, it's probably gonna be a 12 and a half inch 308 with the, with the pistol brace and the 12 and a half inch 8.6 blackout with a pistol brace. Um, so that'll probably be the lineup. Uh, let's see, what else do we have? Um, okay, so tapers, why? Um, there's a couple things with the tapers, and, and most of you have heard this. In the orientation, the way we have tapers now, if you order a, a cherry bomb from us in 5H24, or you order the half or full Nelson, which are the thread mount versions of our silencers, they have, they're reverse compatible with 90-degree shoulder 5H24 barrels that come on your standard whatever, Daniel Defense 308 gun. Um, you don't have to have the taper to use those on a standard barrel. And what the taper does, it takes about a third of the threads out. So you just don't, you have a much greater thread relief so you can thread the silencer on faster. But you only need a few threads to hold a silencer on. You're still gonna have probably seven or eight or 10 threads depending on how uh, long the thread on your barrel is. Uh, what the taper provides you again is alignment primarily. When you use a, a tapered barrel and a tapered muzzle device, um, you have thread tolerance and you can have constant, you have a concentricity tolerance because there's slop in threads for a part to be able to go together. But when you have a taper, it aligns it the same every time. And all the threads doing is keeping it from going off the gun. When you have a nine degree shoulder, all that shoulder does is stop something from threading. It doesn't orient it. It doesn't locate it. And that's what the taper is good for. And again, like lathes and mills and precision equipment is all based on tapers. There, there are no lathes with nine degree shoulders. Not to say you can't have a barrel or a gun with a nine degree shoulder that shoots great, but it's not optimum. You have to use a Loctite or rock set to hold your accessories on. You know, there's not a single fix that's ever left our factory that has rock set or Loctite on the cherry bomb. You just use torque and it will never come loose. And you know, the very first gun that we used uh, muzzle taper on was the very original Honey Badger. And it was a 5H24 thread with a taper behind it. And that's where the MCX that's for SOCOM and the Honey Badger, which is for SOCOM, that's how we get away with having a thread mount silencer on a full auto. It never comes loose. It requires 20% more torque to remove it than it does to install it. And then you don't have the shims, you don't have to have the additional muzzle device, heavier, more expensive mounts in the silencer and on your muzzle. Um, it's just cleaner, it's more simplistic. Um, and I'll still say, if you're gonna buy the Fix or the Honey Badger and you're never gonna shoot without a silencer, get our thread mount silencers. You save money, you save weight, you stay, save time tolerance stack up and with the taper too and the cherry bomb has 360 degree holes so you don't have to in on the muzzle brake you don't have to align it with shims because the shims cause tolerance stacking and misalignment and again you can have some you know typically you can get a 90 degree one to work fine and shoot good in production or just in general it's gonna be way better with way less hassle and more consistent with a taper. You can't, there's just no argument to it. And then the next thing with tapers, where I see whether it's Thunder Beast or what I did at Advanced Armament when I designed our mounts, or I see, um, I think Griffin, I don't really pay attention to theirs as much, but companies, when you put the thread in front of the taper, then the threads get carboned up and that's how they'll seize. Um, you need the taper in front of the threads. Now, you know, if we could do barrels, start from scratch on those and didn't want to worry about reverse compatibility, we would do the same there. We would put a taper on the muzzle of the barrel and have the threads behind it. But, I, I, you know, that's a call for me to make. Do I think that's better? Yeah, it is overall, but then you don't have the reverse compatibility to other guns. So I think, so for commercially, it's a hindrance and it's not the right thing to do at this point. Um, you know, so I think that's really about everything um, with tapers. If, if I miss something, somebody just send a message in. Modular, 
I guess that means modular silencers. Um, but I don't know, modular, it, to me, and, and I think to Q and, and really in our DNA, I love modular. I love having choices, but not sacrificing reliability, weight, ergonomics, accuracy, these sorts of things. Um, if we can get modularity without, you know, making a 22 silencer that weighs seven ounces, then that's cool. If we can't, or it's less accurate, or it's louder, um, then it's not the right thing to do. Like, I would love to have a super quick change barrel on the fix where I press a button like in the movies and I yank the barrel off, I stick a new one in there, and, you know, then I can shoot a quarter-inch group, you know, 20-shot group at 100 yards every time with no point of impact shift. It's just that's not a real thing. And if we make a barrel quick change like that, the gun gets really heavy or you lose accuracy or you lose things that, that matter. So we always have a priority list and what we want to achieve in a product. And that sort of dictates the degree of modularity that we're willing to to put into a product or at least try. You know, in some products, I don't think it's as important. Um you know, and others, I believe that it is. Um, so I think that's sort of the approach to modularity for me. Um, special tools for the guns. We want to eliminate the need for special tools as much as possible. And that's where we were about to build the Erector and the El Camino a couple years ago. And they had a special tool for the end cap, just like everybody else does. And, um, we were actually, Brian was designing them, or Patrick, after, well, look, we, I remember we were looking up online, like, wheels of automobiles, you know, like Ferraris and stuff like this, you know, something that would be kind of an elegant, nice-looking design. You know, originally on the Tyrant, I made it look like the Empire logo from Star Wars, and then I've seen, like, Silencer Co. do that and all. Like, that was a cool thing, so we wanted something different. But then it's just stupid. We had to go and make a tool, and I just thought, why don't we use the half-inch wrench? You know, it has to have a design on anyway. And everyone has a half-inch wrench, and especially with your rifle, because most of the scope rings amounts are that way. So that's how that ended up. Um, the erector needs special tools because you don't want to, if you just used a, a regular box-in wrench on an erector or on, on a silencer when you have them stuck, you'll bend and warp the baffles because we originally tried that. And that's why we have tools that lock around the baffle and have teeth that engage the architecture on the outside of the erector so that you can put it in a vise and in channel locks, but you don't torque the baffles in a way as to bend them. Um, so that's a very important part. So that tool is necessary. And the only tool for the fix, you know, the fix is really cool in that every screw on the gun is a T25. The only other tool for the gun, the only other one is a the the barrel nut. And, and it's similar to like a castle nut, but it's a little different. And it's a very small tool that you use with a dry, you know, like a half inch driver or whatever. Um, but I felt like, well, not necessarily me, the engineers felt that that was necessary. So, you know, where it's necessary, we have a special tools. I don't want to be in the, you know, in the business of trying to make special tools and sell them to you guys. Um, Oh, okay, this was the other thing. Someone asked about why don't we do a trash panda with a changeable front end cap so you could put, um, you know, basically a threaded one where it'd have a hole for 556 or 223 because it would be quieter. And, and here's my response to that. Um, I get what you're saying, but you make the hole in the muzzle smaller in a 308 silencer so it's quieter for 223. Well, what happens is it traps more gas in the silencer. So it is quieter at the muzzle, but trapping more gas increases the pressure and you get more gas back through the gun, the barrel, so it's louder at your face. Uh, if I have to pick, and this isn't the right answer for everyone, but I think it makes sense for the majority of people and so it's what we do, is, I want it to be quieter in your face, and I don't really care if it's not quite as quiet beyond you, in front of you, where you're shooting. Um, 
And then also the the original problem I had with threaded front end caps is the thread concentricity issues. And um, you have a tolerance built in with those threads. And so we wire EDM the bore to make sure the silencer, the hole through it's just as straight as your rifle and aligned with that. And then you thread something on the front of it, you lose that. Um, and that's okay for a lot of people, but I, I don't think it's the right thing to do for most people. And then it also has to get bigger and heavier because you have to put threads in there. And we're trying to make super durable, lightweight, less gas blowback, you know, having a larger diameter silencer, we can put a bigger hole through it so you'll get better accuracy. You'll get um, less point of impact shift because the bullet isn't as close to one side. Um, it, you know, it allows some more gas through, so it puts the sound out the end of the gun, not in your face, um, coming out of the ejection port through the barrel or the gas system. So that's sort of that. Uh, what else is going on? Um, I think that's about it. So thank you guys. Uh, come up with more questions. Um, you know, anything that you, that you want to know, I'll try to cover. Again, arm brace guns for the fix will start shipping around, and you'll be able to order them January 1 probably. Um, after starting January 1, you will not be able to order a 22-inch 6.5 Creedmoor in the fix. It'll be a 16-inch lightweight, which is a, the, the handiest, best hunting rifle in the entire world, I think. Um, but the, the match barrels will continue to be available and more will be available online as an accessory barrel. And accessory barrels ship with the barrel nut wrench, I think. Maybe it's sold separately. But so you can swap it out anytime you want it literally takes two minutes on the you know the bench at the range or the tailgate of your truck um, the nine millimeter erector should be shipping um, look at your distributors and silencer shop and stuff they should be shipping in the in a couple months so before the end of the year um, and initially they'll ship as nine millimeter with a booster um, and probably both boosters half 28 or metric 13. I don't know that we've decided that yet. Um, and, and then fixed mounts will be available after that and eventually a three lug and stuff like that. Um, and again, they'll be black and not the tan clear anodized color. Um, 8.6 is coming along, but we're taking our time. Um, making sure we have the ammo and again the, the the twist and everything right you know what what we're aiming for is you know one moa at 100 yards with subsonic consistently and it just requires testing and it's stuff that's not been done before um and i we don't really see a reason to to rush it you know we have to be in a position where hornady's comfortable with it and has production capacity um where we can produce guns to support it and you know and all these things i mean we're getting there the fixed brace was one you know that was one of the steps that we had to take and we have those already um so anyway thanks a lot for all the support guys um anything you need send you know slide into the dms i guess <music>